chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 21. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. May God bless the reading of his own word. And let us now, dear congregation, we open again our Bibles in Luke chapter 2 as we look at this wonderful passage and contemplate one specific question, and that is, why? Why did God send His Son to the world? Why was Jesus born? And we, we see in verse 14, which is the one phrase recorded of the angelic choir that was sung by that heavenly host. There is the reason given in verse 14. I'll be reading Luke 2, verse 14, which are the, the, the words of the text that we will be probing and looking into this, this Lord's Day. Luke two fourteen, God's word reads, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The narrative about the birth of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 2 not only, of course, reveals that He was born and that the angels 
um, appeared to the shepherds and they became these first visitors that are recorded in God's word who saw the babe that was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This passage also does this very important thing. It tells us why. Why Jesus was born. Why did he come? And, and this is a very foundational question. And, it, and it's very imperative that we understand why he had to come. What provoked his coming? Why was he born? And, and that we understand also, if I could say, the, the inflection of why he came. Even, even if some of us were to say, well, he came to save sinners. There's a way of understanding that phrase that can still lead you into a, a, an inflection of why that is not completely well-grounded. There is, in essence, two, two answers in that very verse that we read. There are two, two reasons. Glory to God in the highest. That's the first reason. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That's the second reason. The first reason is standard. Um, it's the reason for everything good in the world. It's for the glory of God. Why, why do you exist? For the glory of God. Why do the mountains and the seas exist? To the glory of God. Why did Jesus come? He came for the glory of God. But then the angels didn't just give glory to God. They also said, for us, peace. And for there to be peace, sinners had to be forgiven. And so this is the foundational reason why Jesus came to earth. But we're, we're going to put it with the right inflection so that we, we really have our understanding very well grounded. Jesus came to earth to save sinners. And I'll bring the, 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 the completion of this reason in just a little bit. Um, Paul made it clear to Timothy that this is why Jesus came. 1 Timothy 1.15 This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul added, of whom I am chief. So he was saying, Jesus came for me. I'm a sinner. I'm the chiefest. But I'm thankful he came because he came for us. And Jesus made that very clear in John 3.17 for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. See, that's not the primary reason why Jesus came. Jesus is a judge. There will be condemnation. But why did He come? He did not come for condemnation, Jesus added. But that the world through Him might be saved. That's the foundational reason why Jesus came. Now let me explain the danger of, of the inflection not being fully well understood. See, there are those who think and say, rightly, yes, Jesus came for sinners. But in their, in their mind, they're thinking like this. Humanity had a very deep problem, which it did, and it could only be solved with God sending Jesus, which He did. Salvation would only be available through the Messiah, which it is. But in the mind of the person who says this, they see it as a laborious project. God's justice is on the brink. He did it. He sent Jesus, but his patience was running out. Jesus came, but he would have preferred to remain in heaven. See, they even interpret wrongly moments where Jesus was on this earth and where he would sigh and say, How long shall I suffer to be among you of such little faith? Remember those moments. See, you can, you can hear those sighs of Christ in his humanity and have a wrong view of God. That he only saved sinners because at the end of the day he had to. That Jesus only came to the earth because he had to. And this is what, in this sermon, beloved, I'm trying, we, we, will, we will look at that 
refrain of the choir of the angels and have settled in our hearts why Jesus came. He came to save sinners because He delights in so doing. And that is the key thing that we're hoping to consider. The delight that God has. The delight that Jesus has. And even the delight that the Spirit has to save sinners. So Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. But your mind must have this clear and resolved. And it's something He delights to do. Now if you were to ask unbelievers why they are unbelievers there would be a variety of reasons that they could give based even on their condition there would be of course those who are unbelievers because they never heard of Jesus they still must be reached so of course it's not that they have some kind of concept about Jesus they they've never known him the bible speaks of them that they're without excuse because they know enough that there is a god that he is divine that he is good and that they should thank him but they don't they choose not to so they don't have excuses but of course they don't believe in Jesus because they haven't heard of him and there are those who will explain that they have heard some religious things and about God but they simply do not believe in anything spiritual anything religious they are anti-God they are atheists some say that they will believe in a God but they do not see Jesus they think of Jesus and all of who he is and they deny that they say no he is not the son he is not the Messiah he was not sent I, I do not believe in the miracles um, they, are, they, they may believe in God the, the Jews are in that category they believe in Jehovah but they don't believe in the Messiah There are many people in the um, Protestant realm that are nominal Christians that really fall in that category. They believe in God as Father, but Jesus, they don't believe in Him and His full divinity. They don't believe in the miracles, in the virgin birth, or even in the resurrection. Those are not true churches anymore when they believe that way, but they would say they believe, like I'm saying, they believe in God, but this is what they think about Jesus. There are some who maintain that they simply don't need a savior because they do not see themselves as sinners the message that i just finished giving you that jesus came for sinners and that god delights in saving sinners it hits in their hearts somewhat in an offensive tone because it implies that they are something that they don't believe they are so there's really no joy in their hearts to hear that god delights in saving sinners because they don't think they are one and there are those who are indifferent to the whole spiritual matter of things. They, they say, yes, the religious may exist, but they are skeptics about it. They, they may have certain questions, but they really don't have really any interest in having them answered. Those are the indifferent ones. And, and this is a very sad category of people, people in the religious world, sometimes even in conservative evangelical churches, but they're just nominal Christians. They are Christians on the outside because they don't have a true, personal, sincere relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have true faith. Typically, those are people who have not been brought to see their true need, their sin that needs to be pardoned and forgiven. And so they may be in the, in the religious realm, but they're nominal Christians. They're not true believers and then comes this category. And, and through this category, it really helps us understand all others, something in common that they have. This last category are religious people who have not yet come to Christ because they do not understand the very basic element that we're talking about, why Jesus came. They are not yet saved because they do not think that Jesus really, truly is willing to save them. And this last group, like I said, in a sense reveals something in common with all others, all of them. Every unbeliever, if they were convinced that Jesus came to save sinners... And that he delights in so doing. 
God could use that to save their souls. See, in that whole list, I spoke of those who don't even think they're sinners. But you see, you agree with me. If that sinner acknowledged he is willing to save sinner, sinners, and I believe that, see, that very belief will have a bridge into the heart of the person who says he's not a sinner to start thinking, maybe I am. Because see, down deep into the heart of even that person who says I'm not a sinner, they know they are. God's Word says it. God's Word describes it. They they just don't want to acknowledge it, but down deep they know it. So if their hearts were convinced that Jesus came for sinners, there would be a bridge. There would be a connection that they would start, instead of fearing Jesus or being oblivious to Jesus or indifferent to Jesus, they would start thinking, maybe I need Jesus. So we we understand that it is key for you and me to understand our sin. But what I'm wanting to, to speak of very clearly and bringing passages throughout all of God's Word is not only to be convinced that we are sinners, but be convinced that God is willing to save sinners. That is something extremely important. And, and one of the Puritans that led me to realize this was Thomas Goodwin. He, he spoke of people in religious realm, which is usually where we see people with this difficulty. And he says this, Men do not usually question the power of God. He is able enough to save them, they think. The great queries in our hearts are concerning the will of God toward us. And then Thomas Goodwin goes on to say, it's from him that I have learned this premise that I just told you, that if we are able, if God's word, of course, were to persuade, persuade men and women, heart, children, of the willingness of God to save sinners, that God could use that to bring sinners to Christ. There would be no longer a fear You would no longer think evil of God. You would think well. This is what Thomas Goodwin labors to describe. As long as in your heart you're thinking, yes, God saves sinners, but maybe not me. Yes, I believe God is powerful to save sinners, but why would he save me? Thomas Goodwin reveals that as long as you're thinking that way, you're thinking evil of God, and you will stay far from God. Why, why would you go to a God who possibly thinks evil of you? Who has no love for you? But if you are convinced through Scripture of the willingness of God to save sinners, that's our first point, and the willingness of the Son to receive sinners, that's the second point. If your heart is persuaded of that, you will be encouraged to go to Him and believe in Him. And beloved, um, if you look around, if it is not your own heart, You possibly know people who are in this very bondage. Afraid to go to God. Because after all, you don't know if you're the sinner that he is willing to save. And I pray that as we go through God's word, these these effects will happen. If you're a believer who knows you're a believer, not just a nominal one, but a true believer. Let this truth Fill your heart so that your worship of God will be even greater and grander that God so greatly, so delightfully desired to save you that He sent His only begotten Son. But then let let your heart also be filled with words to help others that you may meet who are in this bondage that They're scared to go to God because they really are not so sure of God's love to them specifically. See, God's word, as we will be doing throughout this sermon, makes it very clear. Not not a single human should have that doubt. 
that doubt is what it is. It is doubt. And God's word says that we should not doubt. We should believe. And this is what we should believe of him, that he is willing to save sinners. Even the most wicked, even the most far away, even the, 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 the greatest sinner. It doesn't matter. God wills to save sinners. That's the testimony of scripture. And every soul should receive it that way and not be scared of God and go to him in faith. And then thirdly, so if you're a Christian, let it encourage you and let it give you words to help others. And thirdly, if you are in this bondage, I pray that God's word would pierce your heart so that you would be persuaded, persuaded today that God is willing to save you. Because see, I know as I speak to you, you are in this category. We are all in the category of sinners. There's none who's excluded. Even those who try not to be in that category and say they're not sinners, you, you know that you're in that category. Your conscience tells you. God's word declares it. There's, there's nowhere to hide. But this is the good news. God is willing to save you. And so let's go to our first point, the willingness of God to save sinners. See, I'm, I'm using the, the very message that, yes, yearly we go to in the birth of the Lord Jesus. And, and as we have gone through this passage from time to time, as I was reading and thinking, well, what are we going to focus on right now? The, the very visit of the angels, the, the coming of um, the visit of the shepherds or the coming of the angels or 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 why they went to Bethlehem. And we, we've seen this narrative so often. And the question that was in my mind was mainly, verse 14, it, it is giving us the reason Jesus came. Let us focus on this reason. It is to show the willingness of God to save sinners. This is how we look at this passage today. Why, why my Mary received the baby in her womb? Because God delights in saving sinners. Why did the angel come to those shepherds and told them about Jesus in Bethlehem? Because God delights to save sinners. Why did they go then and visited Mary and saw the glorious coming of this baby? Because God delights in saving sinners. And this is what God has been saying all along when, when we looked at the passage where Zechariah then has his mouth open and he de- declares um, um, that beautiful refrain of prophecy and praise. Toward the very end in chapter 1 verse 78, he says, Through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring on on high has visited us. And the question is, okay, why did he come? Why did he visit us? To give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. To, to bring the salvation. To, God delights in doing this. He, he's been saying this all throughout. And when, when the angel came to Mary and told Mary about the birth of her son, he said that he is to be called, his name shall be called Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 31. And right there you have this very issue that we're talking about. Jesus means the Savior. That's why Jesus was born, to be the Savior. But not just to be the Savior, but to be a willing Savior. And let us look then at the heart of God to see this. Um, I'm going to read through many passages in the Old Testament and leading into the New. And see how this proves the point. Ezekiel 33:11 is my starting passage. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? This passage, Ezekiel thirty-three eleven, uses the word pleasure, and, and it shows a, a theological distinction. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, although the wicked die and will be condemned. That is a necessity because God is just, but there's no pleasure. And what we are to understand is that in the saving of the wicked, this very wicked that God has no pleasure to condemn, we understand He has a pleasure to save. He delights in bringing Him to salvation. 
Ezekiel 18.23, Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? That's where he has pleasure. That the wicked will live. Ezekiel 18.30 and following. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. You see, God here is in the, God is condescending in a way, humbling himself because he's speaking as a beggar for the sinner to have reason in his heart and mind and not continue in his sin, but turn to the Lord. He, he says, make yourself a new heart. That is a code phrase for repentance. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So that's Ezekiel 33, 11, 18, 23, 18, 30. Then we go to Hosea. Hosea 8, 11, verse 8. Look at the pleading heart of God speaking to Ephraim. How shall I give thee up, Ephraim? How shall I deliver thee, Israel? How shall I make thee as Adma? How shall I set thee as Zeboim? Mine heart is turned within me. My repentings are kindled together. God is showing his displeasure. He's having to discipline Israel, and he doesn't like it. He does it. Because it's necessary. But there's no joy. There's no delight. There's no, 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 no desire to do it. But he has to. Hosea 14.4 I will hear their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. So when they do repent, when they come, he's just speaking of his love now freely. See, he's not loving because he has to. He's not loving because, well, it's the law. I said that I would forgive those who repent. So now let me do it. Beloved, there are many professing believers who have that view of God. Often they're in the, quality, the, the category of nominal Christians because they themselves don't think so highly of God. They think God only saves sinners because He has to. It's not true. It's not biblical. You see what God is saying. I will love them freely. They were the backsliders, but they've come back. I've brought them back. I'm going to love them freely, for mine anger is turned away from him. Lamentations 3, 33. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. See, every time he brings affliction, there's never joy and desire. That's where the necessity comes, because he's holy. But never with delight. Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And then verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon See, when he speaks of his mercy, there's always an abundance. When he speaks of his pardon, there's always a great quantity. Jeremiah 3.12 Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. And then Jeremiah 3.22, Return, ye backsliding children, and I will hear, heal your backslidings. Let me go back to Ezekiel once more, 18, verse 21. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed, and keep all my statutes, and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live, and shall not die. Now let us go to the New Testament. And this helps us understand why the apostles felt so free to speak as they did. 
Acts 3.19 Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And then 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And then Paul says something similar in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. See, these are passages that are speaking of of where the delight of God is. This is where His delight is. This is where His joy is. It is to see sinners repenting that they may be saved. And now one last passage from Jeremiah 31.20. And what I want you to see, as you've been seeing in many of these, but this one seems to have it even, even more clearly, is this heart of God in pleading with His own. Jeremiah 31.20. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spake against him, I do earnestly remember him still. Therefore my bowels are troubled for him. I will surely have mercy upon him, saith the Lord. God is speaking here with with like these compassions that we understand. God is with a heart that is full of sadness. His bowels are troubled because of the afflictions. And he's resolved to show mercy. Now... This is the declarations from God's word. Now I could ask, is God really this willing? What is the proof? The proof is in Christ. And see, it begins with Christmas. It begins where this little baby is born in a virgin. There's been already all of this introduction where the angel has come to Zechariah. The angel has come to Mary. Um, Mary has glorified God. Elizabeth hath praised God. And, and we saw Zacharias's mouth opening because um, he believed in, in what the angel gave. All of these things are happening. And see, beloved, this is where you need to understand. When Jesus finally comes, that little baby who is lying in a manger. He is the living proof of all that I've been saying of the great delight that God takes in saving sinners. He sent His Son for that purpose. And when Jesus comes to earth, I remember one whole sermon. I brought a lot of these verses together. I just want to bring a summary here. Remember how Jesus made so abundantly clear that the words He spoke The words he did, everything about his coming and being here was in obedience of the will of the Father. See, Jesus was literally saying, I believe in human terms for us to understand, this is God's idea. To save sinners, it began in the heart of God. I agreed to come. But what I'm doing here is the Father's will. It began when he's even speaking to his mother Mary. Remember, they were a little taken aback because they had missed Jesus. They wondered why Jesus didn't say where he was. And Jesus said, how is it that ye sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my Father's business? Jesus was 12 years old, and he understood he's here on the Father's errand. And then Luke, uh, John 5, 43, I am come in my Father's name. Luke 10, 16, he that despises me despises him that sent me. John 5, 36, the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do. John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And perhaps the most forcible passage is John 5, 19. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these things also doeth the Son likewise. And what did Jesus do? He came. He lived. And he went to the cross. And he died. And in all of what happened with Jesus, the Father 
was saying this blessed refrain, I delight to save sinners. When Jesus is in Gethsemane, and his humanity, he's saying, is this still your delight? Is there another cup? The Father gave him no other cup. And when he's on Calvary's cross and everything turns dark, Jesus identifies that darkness with the forsakenness of the Father. Why hast thou forsaken me? Beloved, see, this is the blessed answer because God delights to save sinners. And let's bring the Holy Spirit here. When Jesus resurrects from the grave, God is declaring, I delight to save sinners. My Savior is alive. Sinners will now be saved. The ones who believed in Him before He came and the ones who believe Him from now on. The Spirit comes to the church. Peter comes to a pulpit. He preaches to a multitude of thousands of people. 3,000 sinners are saved. You see God's delight to save sinners. As soon as the Savior is now ascended into heaven and the message of gospel can go forth, what is it that happens? You look at that message of Peter, the whole crux of the whole matter is we have a problem called sin and we need forgiveness. And Peter said what those men were to do, be baptized and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your sins forgiven. It is a summary of all that I read when God is there speaking to the wicked that that He does not desire to punish him. Did you see all those verses that are about turn, repent, stop, have a new heart? Yes, repentance is absolutely necessary because that's the only way that you'll, you'll really turn from sin and look to Jesus. But you will never go to Jesus if you believe He doesn't want to save you. If God maybe doesn't want to save you, you'll never go in that direction. And your heart needs to be filled with this certainty of God's delight to save sinners. And so let me go now briefly, um, not briefly, but let me go immediately to our second point, the willingness of Christ to receive sinners. Now, the reason why it's important to say this, and I know, I know that for many hearts, you're saying, Pastor, I absolutely believe everything you're saying. This is why I said, well, then you're the one whose heart should be overflowing with joy, but also take all that I'm saying because there are people right beside you or round about us who need this message desperately because they're religious and they're not going to God nor to Jesus because they're afraid. There may be people in our very congregation like that. So this isn't far from us. If it's not far from you, in your own heart, praise the Lord. But it's not far from us in our experience. Many well-meaning, even God-fearing people do have a difficulty in this very matter that I'm saying. Now, why I just finished saying how Jesus is the proof that the Father is willing. Now, we need to go to Jesus in our second point because this is where the skewed element happens in the heart. Okay, I, I see God's willingness and I see that He sent Jesus. But with Jesus being in here, did he like it? He sighed when he was with sinners because of their little faith. We saw he was a man of sorrows. A lot of God-fearing people, some may be believers, some aren't, they have a view of Jesus that he was here almost on a necessity. And like I said, he would prefer to be in heaven, but he was here because he had to. He was as if with his arms twisted because of the promise he made in the eternity past, and now he had to simply fill it. And and this, beloved, is far from the biblical truth. It is completely far from the biblical truth. Let's look at his life. Let's look at his words. Let's look at his works. And let's then look at his death and his life, and his works. So first, while he lives. And and this is why we're here in Luke 2. This is when he came. This was the beginning of his life. He was a little baby, and he was in a manger. 
He was being served as an emblem of God's love and faithfulness and keeping the promise. And there were people coming from all areas and and directions. This afternoon, we hope to see a message of when the wise men came to visit the Lord Jesus. And what they were seeing is this great declaration of the Son's delight to save sinners. Not just the Father's, but the Son's. If we put together here, I'm going to put together several verses of Christ's declaration. You will see that he spoke of to those who were weary and tired, to those who were hungry, to those who were thirsty, to those who were fearful, to those who were heavy hearted, to those whose souls had a heavy conscience, to those who, um, who were sick and to those who were healthy, to those who were rich and to those who were poor. So to the weak. Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The tone here of delight is that Jesus is not doing this as a necessity without a heart. His heart is proven in that he took the weakness of all of us and went all the way to the cross for this to be possible. And he did that willingly. To the thirsty, John 7, 37, in that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus took, stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He was offering himself as drink to anyone who thirsted. To the hungry, Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. To whoever would be grieving, in John eleven twenty five, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Those who could see him, John 6, 40, And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Do you note any, any tone here of, of, uh, of someone forced to do this ministry? Do, do you know anything other than delight in doing what Jesus is doing? And to the fearful, John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Now, beloved, this very last passage that I read, him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. There, many of us see this as, okay, once you're a believer, Jesus will never cast us out. It does apply to that, but it applies primarily into the coming. Jesus is saying that as you come to Jesus for Him to save you, if you come to Him for Him to forgive you, it can be that first prayer that the sinner is praying for forgiveness and cleansing. Jesus is saying, He that comes to me, I will never cast out. Who helped me see this passage is again Thomas Goodwin in that sermon that I mentioned. He labored long to explain that's what this passage is referring to. Primarily the first comers to Jesus. And that trembling moment perhaps that a sinner is thinking, should I come? Maybe not. I don't know. Will he receive me? Jesus is saying here to that very heart, those who come to me, I will never Cast out. And he adds, in no wise. It's like saying, absolutely, don't, don't you dare even dabble in your mind the thought that a trembling sinner coming to me, I would be more like that Pharisee who never kissed me than like I was to that later who didn't stop kissing me. Remember that sinner? She came that way, trembling. All she could do is cry at the feet of Jesus. She couldn't come nearer to the face of Jesus, but she came to Jesus. And what did she find at the end of that meeting? Your sins are forgiven. And her honor is living to this day. And the dishonor of that Pharisee who never anointed Jesus, never kissed Jesus, never wept for Jesus, his dishonor is known to this day.
And what did he try to bring to our hearts? That possibly Jesus could be like him and not let that woman touch him. Remember, he said if this man were a prophet, he wouldn't have let that woman to touch him. That man was advocating for a God who does not let sinners come near. And Jesus was showing, I'm a God. I am the God who delights in saving sinners. So I showed some words, but let me show some actions. This is one of them. Then remember that woman at the well. She was divorced, living with um, not her husband. Divorced five times. Jesus offered her living water. Then there's Zacchaeus. He was a publican. He had a banquet. The Lord Jesus was already being accused for having gone into that banquet. But he saved Zacchaeus. He accepted Zacchaeus coming to him. And that brought reproach on Jesus. He became known as someone who eats and drinks with sinners. And it's like Jesus invited that reproach. You see his delight to save sinners? Wouldn't you be scared if somebody said, wow, look where he's going. Um, and he's going to meet with that person, that house. That's, that's a horrible, low life person. And then you're going to be branded. We know what that means. It's, it's, not, it's not something we, we delight in. But it's for the sake of the gospel, we should delight in it. Because we're showing the love of Christ to everyone in this world. But now we go to Christ's death. We saw a little bit his relationship with people, his words, but now let's, during his life, but now let's go during his death. See, it was dangerous to go to the place where he could die, Jerusalem, but he went. He's in Gethsemane. He turns himself in. He's nailed to the cross. The execution begins. They tell him that they will believe in him if he leaves the cross, but he doesn't. Think of it. He's being tempted to leave the place of execution, the place where he's being a sin offering, but he does not leave he's resolved to die and he stays he fulfills the plan of the father because it was also the plan of his own heart and when he opens his mouth they are words of forgiveness um he sees um a a, a sinner who's repenting beside him and he offers forgiveness to that one sinner he sees his mother despondent and she will be alone he provides for her instantly And then when he sees no more because it is dark and he considers that the Father has forsaken him, the Father is saying in that, I delight in saving sinners. And Jesus' delight is also to save sinners because he dies. And he goes to the realm of death. This, This very baby Jesus that we are celebrating today He went from the manger to the cross and to the grave. And it was Christ declaring, I delight to save sinners. The very joy of Christmas is bringing this to our hearts. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. How can there be peace on earth if sinners are saved? And God the Father... And God the Son both delight in saving sinners. Is this something you fully believe in? Are you fully persuaded? Are you completely encouraged to come to God if you haven't? To come to this Savior and say, Save me, Lord. I am a sinner. You can even confess that you don't see your sin as much you perhaps should see because that's the condition of every single one of us. And we can confess that we don't repent as much as we should. Then confess that your faith is not as strong as it should. 
But one thing that you're not allowed is to think he's not willing. Because there's nowhere in the Bible that gives us any credence to this. Satan is the only one who would want you to think that the Father is not willing, nor the Son. Because that will keep him from him. That will fill your heart with evil thoughts of God and evil thoughts of Jesus. And it will fulfill his plan to keep people unsaved. But I pray that God's word and all that we've seen is, is enough for you to be convinced and that you may have grace if you are convinced to convince others that our God is willing. The problem in the human heart is that we aren't. And this is why repentance is a necessity. But God's the one who gives that too so we can go to Him and plead in earnest. May God be, be glorified in the birth of Christ and as we live for His honor and as we think rightly of His great willingness to save to seek and to save the lost. Let us pray. Our gracious and heavenly Father, we thank Thee, Lord, that Thou art so willing to save sinners that Thy very Son, Jesus, who is God Almighty, eternal and immortal, came to this world, became a man, inhabited this manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was cradled by Joseph and Mary. He was seen of these very shepherds. He was declared by these very angels. In all of this, Lord, we pray, may it declare to our heart thy great willingness, and not only thine, but Christ's as well, that he came, but even though there was suffering involved, he did it willingly. He despised the shame but was resolved to come and to die. And we pray, Lord, that as we think of thy willingness, that we would then think so well of thee and not be afraid of thee. Lord, would thou open hearts that perhaps up to this very moment have been fearful and wondering if there was any salvation for them, if there was any hope for them. We pray, Lord, that thy very delight in saving sinners may be what God thou would use, Lord, to, to soften their hearts, that they would come, that they would believe. And we pray, Lord, that thou would be glorified then in the salvation of souls. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.